Welcome to the One in Five of Us podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. I'm your host, Kayla Wood, and today we're sitting down with Samantha Joy to talk about her journey living with PTSD, major depressive disorder, anxiety with severe panic attacks, and agoraphobia. Samantha, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Kayla, for having me and holding space for my story. Absolutely. We are so excited to kind of dive a little bit more deeply into your story and your experience. Um, I know you did a takeover for us a few weeks back, maybe a month or so, um, and got a lot of great responses. And you just, you have such a powerful story that we're excited to share. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Of course, of course. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, This question I always start out with, um, just so that we can kind of get to know you a little bit more. Um, and the listeners can kind of get more of a picture of what your journey has looked like so far. So um, let's start by talking about your mental health journey. So can you give us kind of a brief overview of that? Sure. My mental health journey, I think, started before I even realized it was my mental health journey. I, growing up, had struggled with a lot of anxiety and physical symptoms that were attributed to other things. I think I was even told I had asthma at one point. Um, And I just had very little knowledge about mental health. And that was not talked about in my Filipino home. Um, So my mental health journey didn't officially start. I didn't really accept that it was my mental health that needed attention until around 2017, when I was already in my early 20s. Absolutely. And um, can you kind of like, tell us what that story has looked like so far? Like what, um, maybe dive a little bit more deeply into like the PTSD, depressive disorder, um, that kind of thing, if you're okay with it. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, It took a while for me to even acknowledge the diagnoses. Um, And in 2017, when I first realized my seemingly perfect life was not so perfect, um, everything kind of came to a head before I was even ready to accept it. And so I ignored the diagnoses. I didn't claim it for a while. Um, And when I first realized something's not okay. Something's not going right. Um, I couldn't wake up in the morning as easily. I was struggling to go to my job, which was my dream job at the time. I was working for the San Diego Padres and absolutely loved it, was doing really well in life as I thought. Um, And so when my body and my mind and my heart were telling me otherwise, I it, I was very hesitant to ask for help, but I eventually I had no choice. Um, I began accepting that I was having suicidal thoughts more frequently and started verbalizing that um, to close friends and my partner. Um, and because it was affecting my work, which was the center of my world at the time, I was forced to take a step back and um, 
that's when I initially started therapy. And as many people probably um, experience as they start their mental health journey, your first therapist isn't always going to be the best experience or the one that really enlightens you to accepting that it's time to work on yourself. But I was very hesitant. Um, took me a couple therapists and I started an outpatient behavioral therapy program in San Diego. And when I got there, I immediately thought this place isn't for me. I'm not like everyone else here. Um, My problems aren't that bad. I'm fine. And it took me a while to even open up and accept the pain that I was struggling with. And so I dropped out of that outpatient program and didn't even tell my close friends and family that I stopped going um, because I just felt so embarrassed and ashamed of not knowing what was wrong, not knowing how to fix it, and just being terrified of what's next for me or how do I go on. And it was a rough beginning to my mental health journey, but it definitely spearheaded um, the truth that was to come. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, um, that does ring true so much of the time. I mean, we, um, I like what you said about the therapist thing, how your first therapist is not always going to be the right fit um, or maybe your first treatment facility or whatever it may be. Um that is so, so true. We often compare therapy um, to like dating because mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Cause like you have to find your perfect match and it might not always be the first person that you go see. Um, but you need to find somebody that you click with that you trust and that can trust you um, because it really is like a relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and for it to be effective, there needs to be that like really strong foundation. Um, it's really like that you brought that up because um, so many people struggle with that. And it's something that it like doesn't get talked about enough. Like just because your first therapist wasn't the one for you, doesn't mean therapy doesn't work for you. Exactly. Exactly. And for me, I, at that time, I also wasn't in a place to accept the help or um, admit to myself what, the pain was trying to tell me. Absolutely. And that's such a difficult thing to come to terms with as well. Um, Because that's another thing that we always talk about, like you, like therapy is not going to be effective until you are ready for it to be effective. Um, I mean, I've experienced that in my own life. Um, A lot of the people at one and five have experienced that. Um, It's, it's hard to, fully commit if you're not there yet psychologically. Absolutely. 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 So um, kind of continuing on this path, I, should, I guess, um, can you tell me a little bit more about that moment um, when you realized it was time to seek treatment and what that looked like? Yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> um, I, Again, I was doing so well in life. So I thought I had 
an amazing, healthy relationship for the first time. Um, and really close friends. I had a great relationship with my parents. Everything was going well. Um, and it kind of felt like I was driving and going a million miles an hour. And then all of a sudden something got in front of my car and I had to slam on the brakes and everything (laughs) from the trunk, everything from behind me came crashing forward. And I had no idea (laughs) where it went wrong um, or what to do next. I think it felt really sudden, even though I'm sure it was a progressive (laughs) downfall and spiral, but um, the smallest things were triggering me and I had no idea why. I worked and live in downtown San Diego at the time and was struggling to even leave my apartment um, in a city that I was born in and and lived in for a few years. And um, I was walking to work at the time and couldn't. I I stopped being able to walk to work and was asking coworkers and friends to drop me off at home, even if it was a few blocks away. And once it started to affect my productivity level, which hasn't been affected um, at this point, it really showed me that something was out of my hands, that I needed help beyond what I can handle. And um, my partner, who is the most loving and kind and patient human being and has been for the last five years, um, he and I were getting into arguments and fights that were really triggering and didn't make any sense. And at one point, um, I don't even remember the exact details, but we were at a farmer's market across the street from our um, studio because I ended up moving in with him, just too afraid to live alone. Um, And we were at a farmer's market and so many people were coming up and talking to us because we had a cute dog. We were dog sitting and I just booked it. (laughs) Physically couldn't handle any more of anything, even the kindness of strangers or the cuteness of this dog. I was just so overwhelmed with my own pain and my own thoughts and emotions and fears that I sprinted and kept running until I found a place to hide, which was behind some bushes in Balboa Park. And as I was hiding behind those bushes in the dirt, terrified and paralyzed by everything I was feeling, I just had a moment of, I'm going to die <laughs> if I don't do something different this isn't going to work. And it's, I know it's not my relationship. I know it's not anything he did or anything that the strangers did. I just know something wasn't right inside of me. And even though I had no idea what it was yet or where my healing journey was going to lead me, I just knew in that moment that enough was enough. And there was more joy that I wanted to experience and more life that I wanted to live. 
even if in that moment it wasn't the case. Yeah, absolutely. That is, um, that is such a powerful story. Um, and I really, really loved the analogy at the beginning that you were talking about the car and having to slam your brakes on and everything coming forward. Um, so I think that really explains that kind of like moment of just everything crashing down at once. Um, because that's, that's a scary, scary moment to be in. Um, and it's amazing that you were able to recognize that, um, you needed to get treatment and like seek treatment. Um, because not everybody does realize that. Um, and it's speaks volumes about your self-awareness, your willingness to get better, um, all of that good stuff. So, yeah. And thank you so much for being like so vulnerable and open and honest about that. Of course. And thank you for, again, holding space for these moments that were so formative for me and my healing journey that I haven't even thought of. So, um, and I do want to say that I'm lucky to have had the space and the support, especially during that time, um, to be able to realize that it was time to to get help and that I deserved help. Um, I definitely attribute my healing journey kind of getting going thanks to my partner who really heightened my awareness for what good there is in the world and what it feels like to actually be loved and cared for. And um, he and his family really held me and my friends took my pain and didn't make that all that I was. And I think the fact that they encouraged me to get the help and reminded me that needing help didn't change who I was as a person and the love they had for me, have for me, um, was extremely necessary for me to even want to move forward and seek that support. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's so beautiful, um, too, because we talk a lot about protective factors and that sort of thing. And having a really strong support system is so, so important. Um, so that is amazing that you had that and still have that, um, and I love that you like thanked them for it. That's so beautiful. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, so I do kind of want to dive a little bit more into what your treatment has looked like. Um, so I know you've told me that you are a survivor of trauma, of um, attempted suicide, and um, a few other things. And so with all of those experiences. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about what your treatment journey has looked like so far? Sure. My treatment journey and this whole process kind of has been far from linear. Um, like I said, initially, couldn't even handle um, the intake portions and was terrified of medication, terrified of all the terminologies, um, really 
hesitant to even talk about the treatment that I was going through um, with some of the people that I was closest to. Um, And I think that in order to get to where I am now, I needed to just keep going, even though the experiences were not ideal. Um, And it took me a couple of different therapists, individual therapists, um, that one outpatient program that was more uh, focused on cognitive behavioral therapy in a hospital setting. Um, And that that wasn't working for me. (laughs) And at the time, I just wanted to keep going, keep driving and keep running, which is all I knew to do to survive. And for me, growing up in a Filipino home where image and family name and your career is very um, important and mental health and emotions and feelings are secondary. Um, I learned at a young age how to package my pain and hide it away. And so in my car, (laughs) you would have never known that there was all this stuff um, that I was carrying because I learned how to neatly package it and put it away in the trunk for no one to see, not even myself. Um, Even if I wanted to look in my rear view mirror, I made sure I had no (laughs) view of any of the bad stuff. And so It took a while and took a couple of different treatment centers and therapists, um, and it's now been a few years of this process, but I tried everything. I um, tried other outpatient programs. Um, I tried art therapy, group therapy, more cognitive behavioral therapy, um, EMDR therapy, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Um, movement and body therapy. I tried yoga, holistic practices, um, just anything I can think of because in the last five years, I have been running, crashing, running, crashing, trying new jobs, trying new cities, new homes, and looking for something to help change the way I feel. And it wasn't until fully committing to healing that I've been able to really see the change. Um, I've had to take a step back from, from working over the last five years, um, which was difficult for me, for someone who found a lot of value in my productivity and my found a lot of worth in how much I was making or what my title was it was a huge hurdle for me to overcome, to just pause and accept that I am where I am and I'm not gonna make it to the next day unless I figure out what's going on right now. And so um, eventually I found an outpatient behavioral therapy center that did work for me um, for the time and Uh, was able to kind of tackle trauma by trauma. And 
as a survivor of child trauma, I didn't even know that I was a survivor of child trauma. Um, as many other survivors of childhood abuse have experienced, the trauma compounds as your life goes on. And for me, it became normal. Um, trauma became a way of life and um, what I thought I deserved. And so it took a while to peel back the layers and peel back the different traumas starting from um, what I had most recently experienced in my 20s and kind of going back from there. Um, but I was I was really struggling and really suicidal throughout that whole process. And I still struggle with suicidal ideation because um, each day is different and I'm still peeling back layers and still uncovering memories and pain and trauma that I had suppressed. And so it's been a process, but at this point in my journey, I have an amazing therapist who I've been working with for the last few years. Um, she was my EMDR therapist and she's now our couple therapist, our family therapist. And um, I have just an amazing team of physicians and people who have stuck with me the last couple of years, even when it's gotten even harder than I could have imagined. And I definitely equate my healing success and being alive today to all the people who stood by me, even on the days that I wanted to stop and turn around and keep running. So I don't know if that answered your question, but it's been a process and a long journey. Yeah. And that's, um, that is so much. And like, that's, I cannot praise you enough for continuing to stick with it. Um, because that honestly, that's the hardest part in my opinion, my personal opinion, um, mm -hmm. about seeking treatment is if something doesn't work, then going out and having to start the process all over again, that can be traumatizing in and of itself. Um, and I know like in my personal journey, I have given up on therapy like so many times because I'm like, well, this one isn't working. I am not seeing the results that I need. Luckily I am currently in a very good situation with my therapist and my psychiatrist and the medication that I'm on. But, um, I mean, it took me almost a decade of being in and out of therapy to finally find something that worked for me. And I took three full years off of therapy because I just was so fed up with it. Like it's so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I applaud you for sticking with it and being determined to heal. Um, because that is, it's, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. Thank you, Kayla. And the more I talk about it out loud, the more I realize that I, I do think that that was the hardest part. And during my experience with different therapists and different centers, 
I had a lot of traumatizing moments where I could have easily taken that and added it to the trauma list and continued running. Um, And there were some centers and some therapists that it wasn't their fault. It, my situation and, and what I was going through was just unprecedented. And, um, I, I truly believe that there is someone out there and there are people out there who will help you and can help you and want to help you and will do so in the ways that you want and desire and deserve. Um, and it might not be the person in front of you right at that moment, but I, I'm grateful for everyone that came across my path because it did lead me to the support and the therapist that I do have now. Yeah, absolutely. That's so beautiful. And yeah, there's that, that saying that, you know, everything happens for a reason and everything that you've experienced so far really makes you who you are today. Um, and we can apply that to therapy. We can apply that to um, even like the negatives, like experiencing the traumas, um, kind of turning that around and making it representative of who you are as like a person on a healing journey. Um, and they always say like everything bad can make you stronger. Um, yeah. I don't think I phrased that as well as I wanted to, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely get what you're saying. And I think five years ago, um, that phrase and those sayings would have triggered me because I was at a place where the bad things and the trauma was just so loud. It was, they were all just so overwhelming that it was infuriating to, to really question if, all these bad things were necessary for me to be who I am. And now that I I'm here and I'm alive and in the place I am today, now I can actually go back and track, okay, this bad thing was the worst day of my life in that moment. And at that time, and, and I wouldn't have X, Y, and Z today, or I wouldn't be where I am. Um, and it's, it's a cliche that I have learned to find beauty in and also accept that two things can be true and multiple things can be true. And I didn't deserve the bad things to happen to me as all survivors don't deserve (laughs) any of the bad things that happen. Um, but it is beautiful to acknowledge that through that pain and through the struggles, there is so much strength and there is so much beauty that can come out of it. And I appreciate you acknowledging that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad that you were able to kind of take what I was saying and make it prettier. (laughs) (laughs) You're total, nothing about this is pretty, but it's all necessary. (laughs) I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's, I like what you were saying at the very beginning about how your journey has not been linear. Um, And with the whole like packaging things up and making them like into these pretty little packages that you can hide away. um, In reality, like 
mental health journey doesn't look like that. You know what I mean? And it's so, it's not pretty and being able to talk about it and being able to kind of like talk about the ugly parts and the parts that are really hard um, is really important because I think in a lot of like media about um, mental illness, about um, struggles and like different journeys and stuff like that. Um, it's, it is packaged up so nicely and we don't hear the ugly details. Um, and I think that's why this podcast is like so important. Um, cause we kind of get to get into that nitty gritty and really talk about the hardest moments and what it's like to go through that. And then what it's like to then take that moment and heal and become a better version of who you were. Yeah, exactly. And for me, as difficult as it is to regurgitate my past and um, admit to the ugliness of my story, I I do see how necessary it is because I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the other brave souls who got on a podcast or got in front of their phones and um, told the details of their story that I related to that, that resonated with me, that triggered a light bulb. And I, I truly find power in taking the shame away from the ugliness because the ugliness isn't mine. The ugliness isn't something that defines who we are. The ugliness for me felt like stuff I needed to scrape out and and clean out like a wound that just needed to be treated. Um, And, and it's not, it's definitely not pretty, (laughs) but um, it's, it's worth it. And I, I really am grateful for what you do and what one in five does to highlight the, the struggles so that we can um, really encourage the the beautiful parts that come come with it yeah absolutely yeah yeah no but it it does and um that's I mean that's kind of like what one in five started out as at least our social media presence um was sharing like real life stories about people who might not have otherwise like said it to their friends even said it to their classmates said it to um their parents and breaking down that stigma and being like, hey, this happens to a lot more people than you think. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I remember like when I was in high school or maybe college or something, and I had seen one of the videos from one in five. And I was like, that was my classmate. Like I knew them and I had no idea mm-hmm. what they were experiencing. And I had no idea that we were experiencing similar things. And like, it just being able to connect with somebody, even if you don't know them, I feel like it's just so powerful and just reminding people that they are not alone. So 100%. I, I got the chills as you said that because connection is really what helped me keep going. And, and I definitely think I was that person in a lot of people's life lives where you would have never guessed um, after my first suicide attempt, 
in September of 2018, I went to work the next day. Um, I was in the hospital in the emergency room in the evening. Uh, and then the next day I went on three appointments and closed every single one of them and had my makeup done, heels and a smile on my face. And at the time, my parents, my family, um, and, and myself thought that was a good thing. I thought that was a sign of strength. And now in hindsight, I see that that was a coping mechanism for me to just, I'm fine, keep going. <laughs> and so it's, it is the person who you would never guess that could really benefit from your kindness. And for me, it took a while to find that connection and to find other people who were brave to share their stories. And it took um, stumbling across Instagram pages of one of my near and dear survivor sisters now who lives in Australia <laughs> and um, just seeing her vulnerability in her Instagram bio and reading the words that I had felt all my life in front of me gave me permission to feel what I was feeling. It gave me permission to reach out and, and connect on something so personal. And it took away the shame that I had grown up with and really gave me the feeling that I wasn't alone in a way that I had never felt. Um, and this is from somebody who I still haven't met and who's halfway across the world. Um, but I, yes, 100%, the connection, the, the beauty in sharing your truth and being met with someone else's truth and finding solace in that is just so powerful and such a big reason <laughs> as to why I'm here and alive, truly. Absolutely. That was so beautifully put. Um, and it's just, we can't, I mean, we can't, we can talk about this for days probably, but <laughs> um, it is just so, so important to remind ourselves that we are not alone and find that connection and find those, those people who inspire us to, like you said, like to get the permission to feel the way that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so powerful. Love that. Thanks. Absolutely. So diving um, kind of back in and actually kind of switching gears a little bit. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with dogs because I know like dogs are such a big part of your life. Um, and I just wanted to ask like, what kind of impact that being around dogs, being around your dogs um, has had on your mental health? Oh my goodness. Dogs have been so huge <laughs> for me, my life and my healing. Um, in 2018, before my suicide attempts, uh, my partner and I were already seeking that joy from a dog. And so we 
were wanting to adopt and um, came across this organization called the Dove Project. And we didn't realize at the time, but the dogs that they were having or were adopt were available for adoption were actually from South Korea. Um, they were rescuing dogs from the meat trade and flying them from South Korea to LAX. And that process in and itself was healing for me in a way that I never imagined. Um, I was expecting to get this puppy and just be happy all the time. <laughs> and while he's adorable and amazing and perfect, um, that's not the case as anything in life. Um, it was it was a struggle for me, for someone who was already struggling physically, mentally, emotionally, um, to then adopt a traumatized rescue from South Korea. Um, it had its own challenges where it really forced me to look at my trauma, um, to see my dog's trauma and understand that that's okay. It's not going to be like this forever for him. And it took a while for me to, to understand and navigate that and to, to empathize. Um, because I didn't have any empathy for my own trauma and my own pain. So it, it was a struggle to um, empathize with him and give him the patience that he needed. Luckily, my partner is incredible. He's a golden retriever in another life. Um, he kind of held down the fort and, and took care of the dog parental duties and responsibilities and allowed both of us the space to kind of accept each other <laughs> for our traumas um, because my panic attacks and my, my pain was triggering uh, our dog's pain and um, vice versa. And so while there were so many moments of joy and um, fun and excitement, there were also so many moments of anger and frustration and confusion. Um, but the process helped me find kind of a, it gave me a physical representation of what I was going through. Like this dog came from a really awful situation and now he's not, he's, he's no longer in a bad place, but it still affects him and that's okay. And that makes sense. And I think logically seeing that was super formative for me and a really poignant life experience that um, I needed to have in order to continue my healing journey because he taught me empathy and trust in a way that I don't think I would have been able to have otherwise. And seeing him now has just really shown me that feelings aren't forever. <laughs> and and trauma is temporary. Um, so that was one experience <laughs> that um, definitely changed me and helped with my healing and led to being able to have now my service dog, Brooks. Um, I actually don't think I would have been able to make it through the program um, the way that I, or sorry, I wouldn't have been able to make it through the program or even get to this point 
um, where I can utilize the dogs and the beauty of them if it wasn't for that initial experience. <laughs> because having a service dog is a lot of work. It, it does take a lot of patience and it is a lot of retraining of my own mindset. And um, But since meeting both of them, I feel like I'm a better person. I want to be alive um, more frequently or like, I don't know how to explain it. Just waking up from the hardest nights was impossible before. It was just debilitating. And now the night terrors, the flashbacks, the pain, it's all still there. Um, but my dogs, specifically my service dog, Brooks, just helps me mitigate those systems, those symptoms a lot faster. Um, my recovery time is shorter and I find myself laughing a lot easier and realizing I do have help and they have four legs. <laughs> so I, love I think that there's magic in dogs and just a love that you can't get from anything or anyone else. I completely 100% agree. Um, my pup has been sleeping right by my leg this entire time. Um, and he's like my ESA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have him with me all the time, but he has learned how to, like you were saying, help mitigate like those symptoms. And, um, whenever I have like a panic attack, he knows to just like jump up, put his paws right here. Just give me one little kiss, just one, not a bunch, but just to like pull me back and ground me. And, um, it's truly like amazing what dogs can do for people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's awesome. I was, I was so excited to ask you that question because I know you're like really into dogs and um, I am too. And so (laughs) I, I definitely would recommend (laughs) pause for people, their, their um, Addie's way program Mm -hmm. and just any sort of dog love, (laughs) but for me, where my symptoms are just like paralyzing at times um, and my agoraphobia had gotten to a, a really bad place that I wasn't sure what my life was going to look like um, a year ago. And having gone through the program and now having my service dog at home with me for the last four weeks, I've just seen such a huge change um, with just getting out of bed (laughs) every morning and wanting to get moving and, and laughing so early in the morning after seeing such horrible things. It's just the magic that dogs bring is incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that so much. Um, And I love how you were talking about how with, um, your first dog, how, um, the trauma that your dog had experienced reflected your own. Um, and I was just thinking the whole time I was like, that must be such a powerful healing process, like seeing your dog be able to heal and then kind of like internalizing, like maybe I can do that too. Like, 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Dogs are incredible. Um, I'm a firm believer that everybody should have a dog, unless you're allergic, but. <laughs> yeah, I, and my service dog, who has had a very different life and upbringing from my rescue dog, has shown me that a lot of love and a lot of patience can go a long way. And the amount of effort you put into something just you can really reap those those benefits and seeing how happy she is all the time and how confident she is and how helpful and just in tune she is um has given me that encouragement of like i'm capable too <laughs> and i have the love and the support and the patience that i have desired to push myself to my limits and or beyond my limits. And um, so they each have taught me so much about myself and about healing and life more than I ever thought dogs could teach me. So yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's so incredible. Thanks. So I have just a couple more questions um, as we come up on time here. Um, This next one is one of my favorite questions to ask. Um, So I'm just going to dive in and say it. Um, If you could go back in time and talk to your pre-recovery self, um, what advice would you give to yourself? Wow. I would tell myself to hold on, hold on to hope, hold on to the good, hold on because my story is not over. And just because some people didn't love me in the ways I deserve doesn't mean I don't deserve it. (laughs) Doesn't mean others can't give me everything else. It doesn't mean I can't give me everything that I've desired. And so Yeah, I think I would tell myself to hold on my, it gets prettier, it gets, it gets better. Um, And there's more good than bad in the world. Um, And I think for someone who's experienced a lot of bad, to be able to say that and truly believe it is a powerful, powerful moment. (laughs) I think even right in this right now, just hearing myself say that out loud um, and genuinely believing that I'm okay, (laughs) that I'm more than okay. And there are still hard days, but there are also really beautiful days. And yeah, I would say, hold on to hope, hold on to the good. And these feelings aren't going to be forever. Absolutely. Mm. That's so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Thank you. Of course. So I do just have one last question, and it does kind of tie into what we were just talking about anyway. Um, And that is, what do you do to take care of yourself now? I feel like my last five years have been dedicated to taking care of myself. And right now, I am at a point where 
that is the main priority. Um, and it's not just out of survival anymore. It's, it's out of the desire to live fully and show up in the ways that I can for myself. Um, and so I do a lot to take care of myself. Um, I try to take my medication regularly, um, my supplements, take care of my physical body. That was something that I struggled with all my life. Just the simple basic needs of food, water, um, vitamins, just all the nutrients that I was lacking. I am making a conscious effort to, to give my body, give myself. Um, so eating and drinking on a regular basis. Um, which sounds so simple, but, um, taking care of my physical body, moving, uh, getting out of bed is something that has been super impactful on my day to day. Um, that is so underrated. I think just getting up and moving regardless of how far or what it is, um, is a way that I try to take care of myself. I also do a lot of writing. I journal every day. Um, I kind of free write to get all of the thoughts and noise out. Um, I like to draw. I do a lot of art um, to kind of allow myself to be playful and creative. And um, I do things that feel good. <laughs> it's it's beyond the, the self-care baths and which is a huge part of my <laughs> self-care as well, but it's, it's the simple things. It's the basic human needs that I deserve and need on a regular basis that I wasn't giving my myself before. Um, so just carving out a routine and time and on the days that I, I can't do that, acknowledging that rest is part of healing and being gentle with myself. Um, I think the main taking care of myself thought that I have is, does this feel good? And um, self-care looks different for me on a regular basis, but the things that are most consistent that I know I need to have food, water, therapy, and joy and rest. <laughs> so absolutely, that's not the perfect wrapped in a bow answer of what my self-care looks like, but it's a lot of things and everything's different each day, but. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that is so powerful to be able to like recognize that talking about self-care and like your self-care practice doesn't have to be pretty. Um, because I think like, especially in the past couple of years with the, like, self-care boom and people talking about self-care as this, like, gorgeous thing that we do for ourselves. It's that That's not necessarily what self-care looks like. Sometimes it's literally, like you said, being able to get out of bed or recognizing that you don't have the capacity to do that and doing what you need to do to feel good for yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's in a healthy way, I should say. I should add that in a healthy way. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that is incredible. Um, I love that you like recognize that self-care isn't always pretty, um, but it's just what we do for ourselves. So it doesn't have to be. 
Exactly. And it took me a while to, to realize that, to realize that I don't have to go to a fancy yoga studio every day um, to give my body the movement that I need. And I don't need to go on a five mile run to feel that physical movement. I can go on a short walk around my neighborhood or sit outside and feel the sun on my skin and, um, or my self-care can simply be breaking down (laughs) to my therapists for my hour session on a weekly basis. Um, but yeah, I, I just appreciate that you've recognized that this healing process isn't pretty, but necessary to talk about. And I appreciate you holding space for me to share what's not necessarily <laughs> ideal to talk about, but it's been really healing for me as well to, to share all of this with you. So thank you, Kayla. Of course. I'm, and I'm so glad to hear you say that. Um, Cause of course, like we do talk about things that are difficult to talk about and I do always want to make sure that I'm doing what I can to minimize harm. Um, so thank you, Samantha. You have been absolutely incredible to talk to. Um, you've been so honest and vulnerable and open um, and just willing to talk about those ugly parts of the story um, that we don't always get to see. Um, and I know that somebody out there is going to hear this and it's going to change their life. And that is so powerful to me and hopefully to you. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much. And I did have a rough night last night and my partner this morning was shocked that I was out of bed and willing and wanting to have this conversation. But again, it's necessary. And as I was getting dressed, I I put on my pants that don't have the drawstring on them anymore because I had to cut them out um, when I was placed on an involuntary hold at the mental hospital and putting my pants on today and feeling the drawstrings missing and remembering my rock bottom and remembering how far I've already come encourage me to even keep going. And so I hope that by sharing my pain, by sharing my healing, by sharing my trauma and my story, I hope it encourages other people to keep writing their story, to to keep holding on to for the next page, the next chapter. Um, and I'm just, I'm having a moment where I'm realizing that I am so freaking happy that I'm alive still and so sorry no that's okay um I just wanted to say thank you again for for holding space for for me my story and for survivors everywhere absolutely thank you so much this has been truly incredible to talk to you um and warriors for those of you listening thank you as always for listening and giving us your attention and hearing these powerful stories. And um, as always, if you need any additional resources, um, please visit the website at oneinfive.org. And as always, have a wonderful day.